ever there was a word from the word that could alter a, a, a culture, could shift uh, the trajectory of, of a body of believers, th- this is that word. Now, it's not because I'm preaching it, and it's certainly not because uh, it's, it, I selected it or as a team, we put it in the series. It's a biblical truth that has a transforming power. Now, it's, it's not immediately captivating. It's not necessarily the most gripping of uh, sermon titles, and it's not a truth that even the flesh tends to welcome. But I'm telling you, if you'll just for a few moments listen intently and let the Holy Spirit deliver beyond my frailty and my humanity, let him impart this word. I'm telling you, this is one of those words when you look back and you see a spiritual mile marker in the life, not only individually as a believer, uh, as, as a family, but corporately as a body of believers, this is one of those places where when this truth sets down in the spirit of a people, it will radically transform not only the ministry within, but the impact without. Let the church say amen. Will you rise out of reverence as you find John chapter 6, John chapter 6. It is the gospel according to John chapter 6. And uh, I want you to turn your attention, if you would, to uh, chapter 6. And let's begin our reading at um, verse, uh, for context, let's begin at verse 34. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus answered and said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said uh, to you that have seen me and yet do not believe, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will in no means cast out. Now, I want you to pay attention to what he just said. Regardless of where you are, regardless of what you've done, I'm telling you on the authority of God's word, just just remove the, the, the opinion of man, the denominationalism of our land. I'm telling you on the authority of God's word, there is not one sin that was not paid for at Calvary. There's no crime you've committed. And what we tend to do is we tend to look around the room and one of two things happen. I'm either not as good as that guy because, boy, he's, he's a church-going, God-honoring saint. Or we look around the room and say, boy, I know that backslidden hypocrite. And if he's the standard, I'm in. Listen to me. Neither one of those are the standard. Jesus Christ is the standard. And there is nobody beyond the, the loving grace and saving power of Jesus Christ this morning. So he says very clearly, I I, I will in no wise, no means cast them out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all that uh, all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and has believed in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Father, for your word, for your worship, for the sweet spirit of God in this house, we bless your name and pray no spirit, but the Holy Spirit have any authority in this place. In Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. Now, the title this morning is what is known uh, in literary devices uh, in English literature. It's called an oxymoron. I didn't just call you something bad. I'm telling you, it's a, it's a literary device that's used oftentimes 
to, to convey two conflicting ideas that otherwise are incongruent. They just simply counteract uh, one another. For example, uh, you, one of the most famous movies ever made, uh, the title was, was an oxymoron, Back to the Future. You, you do know that's impossible. You, back to the Future, that's not a possibility. And so some of the other ones that are, that are more captivating, uh, bittersweet, that, that's simply, that's an oxymoron. It's either bitter or it's sweet. Now, here's a southern term we use uh, in, in, uh, in the south. We call it good, grief. Okay, think about it. Here's one that I personally find offensive, jumbo shrimp. <laughs> I'm on steroids. I'm just going to tell you all that right now. Here's, here's some humorous ones that are, that are rather, um, you know, humorous. <laughs> Microsoft works. <laughs> uh, some of you older ones didn't get that, but that's all right. Here's one. Here's, a, here's one that's profound. Honest politician. <laughs> so what are we talking about this morning? We're talking about an oxymoron. Servant leaders. Now, in, in an American Western culture, those don't go together. Leaders have servants and servants serve leaders. We, we applaud, we elevate, we, we highlight leaders that have entourages and that have people to wait on them, that serve them. That's part of the power of the word of God. It, it's, it, it, it's, it's inverted. It's reversed. When you come to Christ, it's the oddest thing. It's an oxymoron. It is that the first shall be last. You want to be the greatest and be the least. It, 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 it flows in complete contradiction and contraintuitiveness to the way we've built our society. But I'm telling you, if you ever get a hold of it, if this ever permeates who we are as a people, it will revolutionize us. And I'm going to show you why in a very practical way by the end of this brief message. Now, we're going to answer three questions. What is a servant leader? Well, we got to answer that biblically because the scripture is our template of truth. That's how we perceive truth through the word of God. Number two, who is the greatest servant leader we've ever known? Now, come on, class. Here's an easy A right here. Who's the greatest servant leader we've ever known? All right, the rest of you fail. Okay, but you're going to get it by the end of class. Number three, well, how do, how do I become? That's the practical component. How do I become a servant leader if it's something that is so powerfully biblical? Now, let's talk about what is a servant leader. Well, John 6.38 is our focus. I want you to listen one more time. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, I want you to wrap your mind around what he's just said. He, he is the second person of the Godhead. He left heaven where angels were bowing at his feet, where all of creation was giving him glory. He had never been separated from fellowship with the Father or from the Spirit. And according to the Old Testament, specifically the book of Psalms, when it came time to pass judgment on humanity, here's the bad news. The bad news is that we are all sinners, every one of us. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Left to our own selves, we would have eaten from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and 
and evil. Doesn't matter what Adam did. We all in Adam rebelled against God. So being born as sinners, when, when judgment came and said the wages of sin is death, those who rebel against the holiness of God have to pay the penalty in death. Well, the Bible says that in that moment when, when judgment said they've got to die because of the holiness of God, the Bible says that mercy came running and grace kissed the Son and the Son said, I'll pay the debt. Now, I, cannot, I can't explain to you what I just said. I can't for a thousand lifetimes begin to unpack what it meant for the Son of God who was boundless, fellowshipping in all of eternity, wrapped himself in bone and sinew, came through the womb of a virgin in order to take on humanity but did not give up his deity in order to become what I am that I might become a son or a daughter of who he is so that in paying my debt at Calvary, grace kissed mercy, mercy went to the court, Jesus stood up and said, they settled out of court, debt paid in full, come in, child of God. I can't explain it, but you cannot deny it. So he says, I, I, this is who I am. I came to do the will of my father. I, I love this quote um, it, uh, by J. Oswald Sanders. Anytime you see something by Sanders, pick it up and take it home. If you don't want it, I'll pay you twice what you, bought, what you paid for it. He's one of the greatest evangelical writers that ever lived uh, in the past century. He says it this way, true greatness, true leadership is achieved not by reducing men to one's service, but in giving oneself in service, uh, in selfless service to them. Something happens when we yield to our own appetites and aspirations and we begin to operate in the spirit of God. What is a servant leader? Well, to answer that question, secondly, Jesus said it this way, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. If you want to identify who's really flowing in the spirit, in, 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 in the will of the father, here's how you'll know them. They're the servant and whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exhausted. Completely contradictory to the way that we build a system in, in, in the American idea. Now, if, if a servant leader is someone that submits to the mission that God has for them, their greatest characteristic is yielding not to promote themselves, but to advance the overall cause of the kingdom. Then that, that brings us to our second, uh, our, our uh, second question, or I'm going to give you this quote. People are, quote, are created to serve life's a mission, not a career. You, you've, you've, you've heard this, or you've heard this, or you've seen this written. He who dies with the most toys wins, but he still dies. And those toys don't go with him. You understand that? Adrian Rogers said he's never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, and that's the truth. They, it, they don't. Beloved, you came into this world naked. You're going out of this world naked. Regardless of what they put you in when they put you in that box, you're leaving here with nothing except what you did for the cause of the kingdom. So the point and the purpose of, of servant leadership is that it, 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 it is an antidote against the consumerism of American Christianity. We have built our churches based on the idea that somehow or another we could compete with the world. We could, we could give you something that will continue to lure you back. I'm telling you on the, on, on the authority of God's word, we have nothing to give you that if it's not born of the spirit, we've got nothing for you. If God doesn't rot it and do it in this house, it is of no value. It may, it may entertain for the moment. It may tantalize for a time. It, it may draw you for a season, but if it's not born of the spirit of God, it will not last. 
So he comes in with this, with this, this incredible idea. I'm going to turn the world upside down, invert it. I'm, I, it's not that a leader lords over them. It's that a servant leader yields and the very power and authority that I've given him or her is used for the advancement of others and not self. So here's, here's, the, here's the second component. Well, who's the greatest servant leader we've ever known? Now, some of you failed this. Help me out. It is, go to Philippians chapter 2. Go to Philippians chapter 2 in your copy of God's Word. I didn't put it on the screen. It's, uh, it's too much text. And I, want you to, I don't want you to get dependent on the screen. I want you to always carry a copy with you so that you study it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Look at Philippians 2 verse 1. If you're there, say amen. He's going to lay out some instructions And then I'm going to show you how that practically applies. Therefore, if there's any consolation, encouragement, equipping, if there's any strength in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection of mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being um, of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each one of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Now, I'm going to can I just pause here and say, can you imagine if just in those four simple verses we applied that truth to the average church, can you imagine how many problems would not exist? Can you imagine if people just said, you know what? I'm not going to church to get something. I'm going to church because this week I've been with the Father. I've been in his word and his spirit caused his word to sit down in my spirit. And this week, because I've been with the Father in authority and I've been with the spirit in the word and Jesus has saved me, I'm not going to get something. I'm going to give something that I got from him because somebody might need something that I've got. And by the time I give it away, I'm going to find out who I belong to because when I get through giving what I got, I'm going to know that the one that gave it was him and not me. <laughs> you see how that changes Christianity? Now, if you're not a servant leader, then, then you base the experience at church on the preference of music or, 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 or if you like the sermon. But what happens when you start as a servant leader, you no longer focus on whether or not you're being catered to, but whether or not you're being used by the Holy Spirit of God. Radically different. You, can I be candid with you this morning for just a moment? You know, one of the things that aggravates me about pastoring the greatest church in America, do I have your attention now? That's an oxymoron. Did y'all catch what I just did? Do you know one of the things that aggravates me about pastoring one of the greatest churches in America? I'm not fluffing your mulch. I'm not pumping sunshine up your socks. I'm telling you, it is a privilege to pastor this people. And when I say that we have crises in this church, that I want you to understand something. That, that, now, three or four years ago, that would have meant seven alarm fire. <laughs> defibrillator, clear, bam. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is not what that means today. When I say crisis, I mean in the best. Let me, let me, let me give you an example. One of the things that aggravates me about passing one of the greatest churches in America is that you people do not schedule your crisis <laughs> for the love of it. If you're going to have a crisis, a trauma, a tragedy, you could let me know. Just call ahead and say, this Tuesday, I will be in the emergency room. I just want you to know. <laughs> And that will help me out immensely. Okay, y'all are not following me at all here, are you? So this week, you know, I was struggling a little bit with, with this, this. We couldn't get an answer to what was going on. And uh, the pain was keeping me up through the night. And we're pressing through the day. 
And when I say we had crises here, what I mean by that is we're having growing pains. Literally, no exaggeration. We we have people calling the church this week to say, "I, I am on my way to the church because I am so moved by what God's doing. Now, I want you to listen to what they didn't say. They didn't say they were moved by the music. It has its place. They didn't say they were moved by the sermon. It has its place. They, we had people literally say to us, I am on my way to that church house. I need to meet with a pastor because I need to know if what I'm seeing and sensing is real. That, that is the primary question we get here. Is this authentic or is this just some knockoff car salesman standing up on a platform trying to convince us that it really is God on us? Let me just pause and testify. It really is God on us. Jeffrey Thomas does not, does not have the capacity to do what the Holy Ghost of God is doing in our midst. And call after call saying, I need to meet with somebody. I need to talk about God's calling me back, drawing me back. Well, by the time you take care of all of that and with some emergency stuff and, and then the staff stuff, which is all good, it's all good stuff, and then you press through the pain and you eat 11,000 Advil and all of that's going on right in the middle of it in, the, in one one of the most pressing days, I had a wedding. I had a wedding in my office. And, and, and I, I, so I, I got through with one ministry thing, and I, was, I needed some other things done, and I popped down to my office real quick. And it's not that I didn't want to do the wedding. It's just that I was pressed for time. I was hurting a little bit. And so we walk into my office to do this with this great couple who's been through through great agony and out of the flames of the fire, the furnace they walked through, God God brought them together in this incredible way. So I step into my office. He's a widower of some, you know, 40-something years with his wife. She, her fiancé's passed away. And, and so I step into my office thinking, okay, this is just, you know, going to be a quick, perfunctory, pastoral moment. Because I got to get on with, because people are having unscheduled crisis. Did I mention that? If y'all just schedule those problems, it would help us. So I walk into my office, and um, immediately, man, the, the Spirit of God's thick like a fog. I, my ministry assistant, Miss Anna Cantrell, has come in to witness and to help because it's just a couple, myself and, and Miss Anna, to, to witness the ceremony so she can sign the legal documents. And I'm telling you, the Spirit of God just said that. And, and I don't cry at weddings. You understand? Well, I've cried at a couple because I knew what was coming, but that, that, that I don't cry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> muscle relaxers. Just muscle relaxers. <laughs> and I just, so I look at Miss Anna, and if y'all don't know Miss Anna, she's one of the godliest, most powerful prayer warriors. She is a gift not only to my life ministerially, but to this church. And that, that's just the truth. And, but she's a rock of Gibraltar. So, but she just, she's steady, stoic, except she, she's, she doesn't cry. Well, I look over to draw a little strength from her. Well, she's crying. <laughs> and when we're done with this most beautiful, I mean, God just said, I've done $50,000 weddings and not been in the presence of God like we were just in the bare bones of my office. So when we're done and the couple's leaving, Miss Anna turns around and in her, in her spiritual prowess, she says, just remember, in the midst of all the other, this is what it's about. But listen to me. When you are a vehicle 
for the Spirit of God to pour through you to bless others, it reduces the anxiety that you're going through because it reminds you that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could hope, think, or imagine. And spirit, spirit uh, uh, servant leadership is simply coming into a place where that I'm no longer focused on my own anxiety, my own problems, my own trauma. It is that I begin to flow in such a way that I'm seeing God do something with others. And, and here's what happens when I serve. This is Paul's instruction. And it is an instruction. He, when he says, when he says quite literally, he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Let each of you look out only for, uh, not only for his own interest, but the interest of others. Can, can I give you a Jeffrey Thomas translation? Here's the deal. When I follow that instruction, here's what happens in my ministry. When I'm not just looking out for my own interest, notice this. He did not say, don't look out for your own. That's not what he said. He said, don't look out only for yours. Let me give you a Jeffrey Thomas translation. This is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you have a need and you've got a father that's so big that he's decided to put you in somebody else's life. And if you'll get out of you for just a skinny minute and you'll quit focusing on you and you'll let the Holy Spirit in you focus on somebody that needs something that you happen to have in you because you remember in your private praise and prayer time, you got a word Wednesday that didn't make any sense and Thursday you wondered why, but Friday it showed up because you, dis you discerned that that word wasn't for you on Wednesday or Thursday, it was for somebody the Father was going to bring into your path on, on Friday, and he's doing something through you to remind you, you don't have it near as bad as you thought you did, because when you minister to them, you walked off saying, whoa, thank God, I ain't going through that. Amen? He didn't say, don't, 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 don't pursue your interest. He said, don't pursue only your interest, but others, because this is what my wife raised our children on. Every time they complained, she would say, well, somebody else has got it worse. They could come in with their right arm in a bag, <laughs> from, dismembered from their body, blood shooting out. She's going to say two things. Can I tell it? We're on the air. She's going to say two things. Number one, you need to sit on the pot. That's the first thing she's going to say. <laughs> I have no idea. None. Honey, I'm having a heart attack. Sit on the pot. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's something to do with the bowels in the Bible. I have no idea. I don't know. I'm at a loss. Okay? Number two, you, you, you could be holding that arm up, and after you sit on the pot, she would say, well, I could show you some people that lost both arms. And she's, well, she's not the pot thing, but the other thing she's right about. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Hello to the online world. <laughs> so here's the instruction. Here's the instruction. What he's saying is, here's, here's, here, it's not a suggestion. If I could show you the language, he's literally commanding us to do this. Now, here's the problem. This is against our nature. We are not inclined to ever be more concerned about someone else than we are ourselves. Well, Paul knows we suffer from this egocentric disease. And here's the deal. Pastors and churches are losing their minds because they're trying to figure out what the world wants to bring them into the church when I'm telling you it's in the book. It's in the book. Listen, this is how we do it. We just quit focusing on what we are and start looking to who he is, and then there's no need that can't be met. It doesn't matter what your need is. It isn't the church. It isn't the facility. It isn't the program. It isn't the preacher. It isn't the singing. I'm telling you, we have a God. If you take this building away and we meet on task, 
Haswell next week under a tent. We still got a God that can meet every need. It's not the facility. It's not the lights. It's not the cameras. It is the fact that we've got a risen Savior who's alive inside of me. There's not a daddy that can't be a priest. There's not a mama that can't be a minister. There's not a kid in this room that can't be a soldier for Christ because Jesus is the answer. So he says, do this. And I say, "Mm, I don't like doing that because I have a list of people I don't like. Oh, y'all the holiest people I preach to all week. Y'all don't have any. Let me, I'll give you my list. And when I, listen, when I walk up on them and the Holy Spirit says, be nice. And I say to the Holy Spirit, I got a whole list of stuff they did to me. And the Holy Spirit says, well, I got a volumes of what you did to him on the cross. So if you want to compare offenses, let's start with yours that nailed him to the tree. So Paul gives us instruction. Now watch this, not only instruction, but this is the beauty of the word of God. Then he gives us what we call incarnation. Now that's a big word that quite literally means he lived it out in the flesh. Now now look, don't take my word for it. Look at verse 5. Let this mind, quite literally, let this attitude be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. So, this is what he's saying. I'm going to give you an impossible instruction. I'm going to ask you to stop seeking to, to, to gratify yourself because quite frankly, let's be candid. It doesn't matter what we get. It's never good enough. Okay. Y'all going to make me illustrate this, aren't you? So let's just say you go out of here and if you could find it, if you could buy it today, you get, you get the latest, greatest, most technologically advanced, I'm talking about screaming, luxury, leather-lined, finest automobile in all of Knoxville. And you love it. You demand. I mean, it's got spinners. <laughs> got them lights that are hooked up to your, 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 your base system. And while you're cruising, the Gatlinburg Strip, it's in sync. Boom, diddy. Boom. Oh, <laughs> And you love that car until somebody passes you in Pigeon Forge with a model you didn't know they made. And you say, why didn't I get that model? Because you'll never satisfy this stinking bag of bones, ever. So he says, listen, to be honest, in order for you to nullify, in order for you to get away from the appetites of the flesh... You're going to have to turn your focus away from self and start serving. And here's how you're going to do it. It's incarnational. Jesus didn't come and live for three and a half years to tease us. He came and lived three and a half years to leave an example of what the Christ life looks like. See, we, we've told you that he lived at such a place that, that it's, it's this agonizing um, 
uh, frustrating reality of Christianity because when you go through all this stuff, you got to love others as Christ, you know, you got to love your, your wife as Christ loves the church. Well, that's great. That's great. But here's the problem. The problem is Christ doesn't have to live with her. And I've been with her X amount of years. And, and when I married her, she was beautiful and nice. And now when I come home, she looks like a hay bale shot out of a cannon. And she's, she's got rabies like a Rottweiler. <laughs> That's not a personal illustration. That's not. I'm simply applying this to the room. <laughs> or the camera. Let's say the camera. God doesn't make any exceptions. What, what he's saying is, listen, that may be the reality of your marriage, but here's the truth. You, you don't need to change her. You need to change your approach to her. And the, and the way to, to, to change her is you love her in such a radical way that she can't deny. She can't deny that it's the love of Christ. She can't deny that you love her and wash her with the word of God. And I'm just telling you, I've never met a woman who didn't want to be loved like Christ loved the church. And it will revolutionize every marriage in this house. You do not respond to him in the way uh, that he is. You respond to him in the way Christ responded to you. It's incarnational. Jesus didn't come and live three and a half years. I want you to think about this. This uh, occurred to me this week. In fact, I did my research to make sure I'm making a, a fairly accurate statement here. You have, you, have, you have Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. They are the fundamental foundation of philosophy, in, at least in the Western world. Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. They form the foundation of, of, of philosophy, right? I put them together, and as best I can tell with all their writings and their life, they live somewhere around 130 to 140 years. That's, that's the extent of their life, 130 to 40 years. Jesus lived three and a half years. Their, their writings uh, peaked and waned and washed away. Jesus lives three and a half years and turned the world upside down. They question the existence of humanity. Jesus comes and redeems humanity. He, he completely turns it upside down on its head so that, that when he says, live it out incarnationally, listen to what Jesus said. He said, i got to go away. In fact, when I go, I, I want you to know something. You're going to do greater things than I did. What? See, we don't need, that doesn't even resonate with our flesh. Wait a minute. He raises the dead. I had someone say to me not long ago, you know, Laborg, you, you, you just need to come over to the charismatic camp. He said, we raise the dead and, and heal the sick. I said, dude, you ain't got nothing on Baptist. I do that every Sunday at 9 and 1045. We raise the dead every Sunday. <laughs> okay, move on. The instruction is to quit focusing on self. The, the incarnation is Christ in me, the hope of glory that's doing it. Now, here's, here's the motivation. Now, we read this eschatologically. and Listen carefully, carefully as we close. Therefore, verse 9, therefore. Anytime there's a therefore, you ask what it's exactly. Therefore, because of the instruction to live beyond yourself, you cannot do verses 1 through 4 unless you're led of the Spirit and empowered by, by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Verse 5 through 8 is, is, is the divine example that Christ is not teasing us. He's, he's simply saying to us, if you let me live through you, I will do something in you that nobody can deny. Then they say, and here's the motivation, verse 9. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. 
That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Now, I understand that this is eschatological truth. I understand what we call teleologically at the end, there is coming a moment. Now, now listen carefully what I'm going to say to you as I close. I, I want to speak to the believer in the room. Now, for some of you, this will produce a little bit of fear or anxiety. If you're a child of the king... This should not produce fear nor anxiety, but a little bit of holy anticipation. When the leader of the free world two times this past six days, the leader of the free world says two times, we need to anticipate severe food shortages coming. You you need to understand something. He is politically acknowledging what he probably does not understand scripturally that we are moving into the last hours of the last days. You do not have to panic when you hear the politicians and the prognosticators say we are moving into a serious global situation where there are going to be food shortages. The Word of God's already told us this, that in the last days there will be severe famines. We're already told that there is one who is gripping the reins of the horse. He is sitting in the saddle. He is in the gate, most leading theologians that I study under. In fact, one said so blatantly in a, in a, in a uh, meeting this week online said this, they are not only convinced that the Antichrist is about to be revealed, but that the world leaders have acknowledged his presence, not the fact that he's an Antichrist, but they have openly said, and some of you've read this or seen it online, that there is a man that is rising out of obscurity. Isn't that odd that Daniel said he would be like a little horn just coming out of nowhere? Isn't it something that 2,500 years ago, under the inspiration of God, it's like God knew all this was going to happen. It's not political. It's prophetic. It's not, it's not, it's not global. It's glorious. We're about to go home. How is it that the leader of the free world would say three times in three different interviews, both on this soil and across the seas, we need to embrace for a new world order? (laughs) I'll tell you why. Because Gabriel's about to toot and we're about to scoot. We're just about to leave this place. That doesn't create anxiety. It creates a burden because some of you walked an aisle, prayed a prayer. You went into a baptismal pool, but you've never had your name changed. You don't know what it is to be part of the redeemed body of Christ. You joined a religion and an organization, but you've never been grafted in to the holy body of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you right now, it's time for you to wake up, look up, because we're about to go up. Jesus is about to call us, and in that moment, you will leave every accolade. You will leave every diploma. You will leave every degree. You will leave every materialistic good. You will leave it all behind. And the one thing you will take with you is what you took in acts of service through the Spirit to the glory of God. We are all most home. Now, if that causes you anxiety... I'm telling you, God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of love. What does that mean? Those who love his appearing, there is a crown. There are five crowns that will be presented at the Bema seat. One of those is, is a crown for those who long for Jesus to come back. They are ready to go home. Jesus said it this way. Therefore, Paul said it this way. Therefore, he was given a name. Above every other name. Now I said all of that to say this. 
I understand that that's an eschatological, a last day's promise. There is a time coming. You need to listen carefully. I'm not talking to you as a Baptist preacher, which I'm proud to be. I'm not talking to you as, as, as a student seminary graduate. I'm talking to you as, as, as a believer. Hear me. There is a day coming when you are going to stand either at the Bema to be examined for your salvation and receive rewards that bring glory to the Father. Or you're going to stand at the great white throne judgment and you're going to be judged not based on the cross, but based on your sin. That day's coming. Now for the believer, practically, verses uh, in, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, there is also an immediate application, meaning this. When I come to this instruction and I'm told to put others ahead of myself, not, not that I don't acknowledge I, I, I've got some things that I need in my life, it's what Christ's saying is I, I'm going to fulfill what you need as you let me fulfill what they need through you. So I live out the incarnation of Christianity, and here's the truth. There's times when I have to say, at the name of Jesus, Jeffrey Thomas has got to die. I mean, he just, listen, Lord, you don't understand. I, I, I'm, I'm hurting. I'm, 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 I'm burdened. I'm mad. If one more person moves to Fountain City, I'm telling you in Jesus' name. <laughs> Just don't leave your house from 3 to 7. Just stay home because you're not going anywhere anyway. Right? And there's times I have to say by his name, Jeffrey Thomas, you're going to yield to the Spirit. You ever talk to yourself? You ever talk to yourself? Now, listen, it's okay. Do you all know psychologists during the lockdown, the pandemic, they did an extensive study on this. They, they, they discovered that in, in looking at... Uh, you know, psychology and, you know, psychological problems, traumas, they discovered that two out of every three people suffer from some psychosis, two out of every three. Now, don't you look at the person next to you, look at the person to your right, and look at the person to your left. Now, if they're okay, <laughs> if, if they're okay, <laughs> you're it. <laughs> so it took some of y'all a minute to get that. Here's, here's the crux of what, I, what, what I'm going to say to you. How, how do I become a servant leader? Well, I, I got to die daily to, in order to serve faithfully. It's a daily activity. There's times when I, I've got to go to that, what they call the kenosis, the pouring out, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5. I got to go where he empties me of Jeff and he pours himself in. Now watch what he says. When he had called the people to himself... With his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, I'm going to ask you something in closing. What, what is a cross emblematic of in this setting? What does it mean? It means death, torture. It means embarrassment. 
Listen, this is not some pretty little ornament around your neck or something we put in the church in order to declare who we with with some Anglo-Saxon looking, you know, Jesus who looks like he just kind of had a bad hair day and and he's and he's he's got a little drop of blood on each palm and a little drop of blood to his feet and there's a little bit of a you know a scratch on his side but and we've covered up with with a nice purple piece of um, material you know so nobody is offended by the nakedness but that's not at all what happened at Calvary you need to understand that a cross is an embarrassing, absolutely agonizing tool of torture. He is strung up high. He's hung between heaven and earth. He is naked before his mother, I might add, and everybody has abandoned him with the exception of a few. He is heaving to breathe. The sun is refused to shine. The earth is convulsing. Angels are begging to peel him off. The father is about to turn his head. Jesus is in agony, beat beyond recognition, and, and the world is scoffing and mocking and there he hangs in the balance and I'm telling you the cross is a tool of agony so he says hey if you want to come with me I need you to pick yours up come on still want to be a Christian I'm not not talking about joining a religious sick civic organization where that you know we meet your every need as a chaplain and we come alongside and we pat you on the back i'm talking about do you want to come today and die would you like to come be nailed stripped naked would you like to be divested of everything that you've ever done and laid between heaven and earth? I'm, I'm inviting you if you want to come with me come on now he, he's even more intentional when he says um, that I must accept the fact that I can't live the Christian life alone. Now watch this. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. Now Luke adds something that Matthew didn't say daily. Okay, I'm going to tell you in my private praise and prayer time Bible, I, I underlined that, put an asterisk, and in the margin I put sometimes for Jeffrey Thomas hourly. I mean, there's times I'm candid with you. It may disappoint you that your pastor has to hourly just say, listen, boy, this attitude, it is not that of Christ. And I got, there's some stuff going on in my heart and I've got to die to this mess. And, and if I don't become the servant leader you've called me to be, I'm not going to experience the power that you want in my life. Now, here's the bow on the box. Servant leaders operate in a way, they're not looking for applause. They're not even looking for approval. They, they only live for an audience of one. They, they don't need you to appreciate them. I mean, it helps. They don't need you to come alongside and affirm them. They, they are so radically, completely, totally abandoned to the passion of serving him because they can't get over what he did. They can't get over the fact that this one who was sinless became sin, became their sin. This one who had unbroken fellowship for eternity in that moment at Calvary, the father turned his head away and for the first time in all of eternity, the father and the son had no fellowship and God drew back his hand and smote, killed struck the son of God killing him they can't get over it and now because the spirit is beginning to work in their lives and they're putting not only not only are they realizing that as they put others ahead of themselves something supernatural happens they understand they gotta die daily but they can't do it alone why is that Um, somebody tell me what this is what is that that's the cross. Y'all are slow this morning. You failed the first part. <laughs> so let's, let's just talk just in closing for a minute. 
Servant leaders, they operate in a flow of the Spirit where they're more attuned to the heart of Jesus for others than they are themselves. But here's the miracle. While they're ministering to others, Jesus is doing in them what they could not have gotten out of a bottle or a bag or anything else. That's the miracle of it. So you wait a minute, you mean to tell me that if I, if I quit pursuing what I need and I walk in the spirit to become a servant leader and I'm, I'm more interested in what God is doing through me for you that I'll get what I need when he does what he's doing? Yes. I can't explain that. <laughs> but it's the truth. Because as I, day, as I die daily, watch this, watch this. Just work with me, work with me. I'm going to die today. I'm going to climb up on that cross and I'm going to die to my appetites and my attitudes and my, my old stinking Jeffrey Thomas self. And I take, that, I take that hammer and I nail my feet so that I don't transgress. God, you're calling me to do something. You're calling me. Lord, that right now you are speaking to somebody. We've been praying for young families to come and, and to join Fairview, not for the sake of numbers, but for the sake of touching our community to raise our generation. And, and, and so we pray, God, bring us young families. Guess what God's doing? <laughs> He's bringing young families. Guess what they do? They make babies. <laughs> I'm, somebody's over here struggling with the definition of a woman. I feel it in my spirit. But anyway, <laughs> they make babies. They make babies. And I'm just going to tell you I've said it. It's the truth. Don't hate on me. We make pretty babies around here. We had one close call, but he's going to be fine. He's going to be all right. I checked on him. He's good. God send us babies. Here's what happens. God said, I'm going to send you a bunch of young couples who've been immersed in a, in a, in a, in, in a world of materialism and they want to be leaders so they have servants. I'm going to bring them and I'm going to save them from this life of despondency and getting to the end of life to figure out that everything they've pursued, they've leaned the ladder up against the wall of American materialism and they're going to get to the top when they're in their 50s or 60s and figure out they've leaned it against the wrong wall. I'm bringing them to Fairview where truth prevails and grace wins the day and the spirit leads and the word goes forth but here's the deal they make babies and somebody in the name of Jesus has got to change poopy diapers in Jesus name climb up on that cross okay Lord I'm going to change poopy diapers in the name of Jesus I'm going to slip some Benadryl in there but we're going to do it <laughs> I nail my feet to the cross so that I don't transgress and run from you. I'm, 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 I'm going to reach over here and I'm going I'm to nail this hand because I, I don't, I, I don't want to bail out on you. I'm dying to myself. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. I, I, I can nail my feet. Now, I can nail my hand. But wait. Now, see, if I'm not careful and I don't have you in my life, I'm apt to just reach over and pull that thing out. But if I got you in my life and you come alongside and say, what you doing, Jeffrey? I'm dying to myself. Could you help me? Oh, I'd be glad to help you. <laughs> and every time I'm with you, you're helping nail part of me that's keeping him from letting me be all I need to be in him. I can't do this alone. I have to have you. You can't do it alone. We have to have each other. And part of the process is that even when you don't know what you're doing, 
You're changing lives. And it doesn't have to be supernatural, miraculous. It could just be God speaking through you. Now, I'm going to share something with you that's intimate, it's personal. And I, I mean this in the deepest respect for, for my family. Most of you know my story. My mother was an unwed teenage mom. Back in that day, an unwed teenage mom had to go away until the sin in her belly could not be seen. Well, you know, Aunt Dot took a sin. She had had cancer when she was about 18 or 19, and uh, as a result of that cancer, she neither married nor ever had any children, and we just kind of bonded. And my mom, being a single teenage mom, not being allowed to finish high school, that, that was part of the deal. You were put out of school. You were... You were put out of everything. You had to move away. Now, this is going to shock some of you, but when I was little, I was hyperactive. <laughs> and I was a handful. And that was a lot on a single mom, and it was a lot on those that, that were trying to help raise me. And um, this is before they had Ritalin and, and ways of controlling, because I'd have had an IV bag. You understand? I've been walking around with a Ritalin bag. <laughs> So Aunt Dot, as I understand it, through just some grace in my mom's life, she enrolled me in a local Baptist church daycare. I would go from 9 in the morning till about noon. And um, the daycare, the, the Baptist preschool said to Aunt Dot, we don't think he's going to make it. <laughs> it was kind of prophetic. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> It was kind of a harbinger of what was coming. We just really can't do anything with him. Well, one day when I had exasperated the woman who ran it, uh, she jerked me up, took me to this little room, and set me down in, the, in this very... I've tried to find one. If I ever find one, I'm going to buy it just to put in my study. It was, it was, an, it was a rather long, at least in my memory, it, it was long. It was like a snow sled. You got over in it, had a little seat for, you know, for a little guy. And then when you sat down in it, like in a bobsled, in front of you, were, there was a blackboard here and a blackboard here and a mirror. And I remember she, you know, she plopped me down and she said to me, Jeff LaVorg, you are not a mistake. She said, God loves you. And he has a purpose for you. Now, I'm going to be candid with you. I had no memory of this till after I got saved. And I was in a struggle because I didn't have a pedigree. And I was going to seminary with all these guys who had these great pedigrees. I mean, their families were missionaries and teachers and professors. And his great-great-grandmother, you know, was Lottie Moon. <laughs> and his great-great-grandfather pastored First Baptist of the Ark. I mean, everybody had a pedigree. Everybody, you know, I, I mean, I, I, when they'd start talking about it, you know, my great, great, great uncle, W.A. Criswell, I, I just, I would just leave the room and I was struggling thinking, God, maybe I'm really not supposed to be in the ministry. Maybe I, I, I don't have the credentials. I, I, maybe I'm just supposed to do something else. And in my private praise and prayer time, I'm telling you, more real than anything I've ever, more real than I can explain to you, I, 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 God took me back to that moment. It's like he just opened up heaven and I could see myself sitting in that seat. I had no recollection of what it was. In fact, I picked the phone up and called Aunt Dot and I said, what was the name of that preschool? She said, you mean the one you almost got kicked out of? 
I said, yes, that's the one. She told me, and I, I said, did I get kicked out? She said, no, but you stayed on probation. <laughs> I said, there was, there's, a, there's this memory. Is it real? I remember this woman, and she told me, she said, I'll tell you exactly who it was. It was the preacher's wife. And I could, I, I could hear her saying, and she wrote on that little chalkboard, on that little chalkboard, she wrote, God loves Jeff. And she made me look in that mirror, and she said, I want you to repeat after me, you are not a mistake. And on this side, she wrote, God has a plan for Jeff's life. So I got busy, and I hunted her down. I found them retired in another state, and I called, I called some Baptist buddies, and, I, and I, I hunted her down, and I called her one day, and in a very Fail, frail, elderly voice, she picked the phone up and I said, ma'am, you're not going to remember me, but, but, but there was a time in the preschool, my name's Jeff. She said, oh my God, do I remember you? <laughs> Just like that. That's exactly how she said it. Oh my God, do I remember you? <laughs> I thought, well, this is going to go well. <laughs> I said, listen, I just want to call and tell you, thank you. I had no, no recollection. I, I don't even know why. Did, is this, I mean, I questioned, did I remember this right? She said, oh, did you remember it? She said, listen, you drove us crazy. <laughs> I said, well, I just want to call and tell you, God really used that moment. And she said, um, I want to tell you, that's one of the hardest churches we ever served. Her pastor husband had died just a few months before I found her. And she said, you know, Jeff, there were times when we talked about why did God send us there? And I said, well, let me, let me, let me tell you one of the reasons. She said, I already know. She said, somebody sent us a CD of you preaching. And she said, we were amazed. <laughs> I said, really? Why? She said, because you're not in prison. She said, she said this to me. Them pastors wise, buddy, you got to watch. Listen to me. A quarter of a century later, what that woman did in that moment as a servant leader touched my life in a way that kept me with my hands to the plow. I, I, maybe you're not seeing an immediate benefit. Maybe there's no immediate harvest. But I'm telling you, if you will let him do through you what only he can do, there is a harvest coming that only God could give. Let's pray together. Father, I, I pray out of the frailty of the humanity of this message that you take it and transform us. And that, Lord, the, the birthmark of these believers, the characteristic of us as a Christian faith would be that we're constantly serving others. God, please don't let us become a consumeristic, what can you do for me, church? In Jesus' name, I pray that the antidote to that never-ending agony of trying to fulfill the wants of a wicked heart, let it be offset by the antidote of this, that we become the least, that you might be glorified. That, Lord, the icon of Fairview would be a towel and a basin 
serving one another, putting each other ahead of our own desires. Because who knows? In the days to come, when we get to the Bema, perhaps there'll be someone who will turn around and say, thank you. I'm here today because of his grace and your witness. Holy Spirit, we repent for being consumer Christians. We've received the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, Jeff LeBorg here, lead pastor of Fairview Knox. Thank you for being a part of what God did today through the anointed singing, and we pray the anointing preaching of the word of God. I want to thank you and your family for bringing a sense of expectation. Even though you're online with us, even your prayers encourage us in the Lord Jesus. Hey, whatever decision you made today, because we believe any time that the rhythm of redemption through worship and the revelation of God's word through the preaching, we believe every time those things happen, God gives us revelation, which gives us an opportunity to make a decision. What was your decision today? What did God say to you? We want to celebrate that with you. And especially if you made a decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ, if today was your day to step from death to life, I want to ask you to do me a favor. Head over to fairviewknox.com slash connect. There's some folks waiting intentionally right now to hear your story of how you came to Christ today. We'd love to send you a copy of God's word. We'd love to pray with you by name. If you have a need today, and in that season of worship and the word, God spoke to you very specifically about something that he's doing in your life, or you need two or more to gather with you in confidence and boldness to ask God to give you a breakthrough, head to fairviewknox.com slash connect. We'd love to pray with you. Thank you again for being a part of this day and being with us online. I want to pray with you before we go and celebrate what God's doing in your life. Father, thank you for those who are watching. Thank you for those who've been a part of today, who are getting ready to go home in these last days. I pray for those who just came to faith in you. May they find a Bible preaching, loving, God-exalting fellowship we ask God in the name of Jesus, let every broken heart be healed. Let every wounded spirit be encouraged and let the church be found faithful. For it's in your name we pray, amen.